Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Today we're beginning a brand new sermon series called The Spirit-Filled Life. I guess none of us hoped that 2021 would begin the way it has with restrictions and lockdown. But in a strange kind of way, my hope and my prayer is that this series may prove to be exactly what we need to be able to enter into this year with courage and faith and expectancy for all that God could do through us. We're going to be looking at various aspects of scripture that teach us about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Growing up, I knew very little about the Spirit. The church that I was part of as a child never spoke about him, which led me to believe that really he was a peripheral part of the Christian faith and of very little relevance to my life. But I could not have been more wrong. When you read through scripture, you find that the Holy Spirit is mentioned from beginning to end and right the way through as being the active, powerful presence of God, working to create and shape and rescue and empower God's people to be a blessing to the world. And so in this series, we are going to be looking at the person of the Holy Spirit and the work that scripture depicts him as doing. And we're going to ask the question, what would it look like for us to live lives as individuals and as a church that are filled with and empowered by the Spirit so that we can continue doing his work today in the very complex world that we find ourselves in? And I want to begin today by looking at the first thing we learn about the Holy Spirit from the opening verses of the Bible. Some verses that are very familiar, I'm sure, from the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. So this account looks at the creation of all things and leaving aside the questions about how the world was created and in what order and over over how long, I think it's really clear that Genesis chapter 1 is trying to tell us that there is one creator God who made everything and the Holy Spirit was involved from the very beginning. This is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I think Genesis begins with this picture which can probably best be described as chaos. It's not a beautifully ordered, abundant place at all. Three things about this verse. Firstly, it says that the place was formless and empty. They're the Hebrew words tohu wabohu, which is kind of fun to say, quite pleasing to say, but hard to translate. Various different translations put it different ways. So formless, empty, a desert, a wasteland, void. All of these things are trying to express the fact that the world at the very beginning was this kind of wasteland. It was a chaotic place. It was lacking in life. There's very little there. In fact, the only two things that we know are there from this passage are darkness and water. And darkness is really just the absence of light. It's this state of nothingness. And water may sound idyllic to us if it conjures up ideas of the sea or rivers or lakes or something like that. But in the ancient world, it was not an idyllic picture at all. In the ancient world, waters were a picture of chaos, of disorder, of things that stand against the goodness and and perfection that God wants to bring to this world. In the ancient world, many of Israel's neighbours in Mesopotamia and Babylon had origin stories about how the world came about. 
and many of them involved the gods in some kind of battle against the waters. Why? Because for them, the waters represented this kind of swirling mass of chaos and, and violence that had to be tamed or conquered in order for order to be brought about. So in the ancient world, the waters always represented chaos or disorder, things that stood against the goodness and life that God wanted to bring about. So the opening verses of Genesis are kind of bleak. They depict a world that is formless and empty and chaotic, not beautiful and abundant. But there is a glimmer of hope because in verse two, it says this, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, over the chaos. In the midst of this nothingness, there is something or rather someone who is about to intervene. The Ruach Elohim is the Hebrew words. Ruach means breath or spirit or wind. It's, it's not always a spiritual word. It can literally mean the wind that blows around us or the breath that comes out of my mouth. But here it is clearly referring to something more than just natural wind or breath. It's the Ruach Elohim, Elohim being the word for God. This is the spirit or the breath or the wind of God hovering over the waters of chaos. So in the very second verse of scripture, we learn that the spirit of God has been there since the beginning. And as we read through the Bible, we get this picture of who or what this spirit is. And we learn that he's not just mere breath. He's not just mere wind. Rather, he is a personal being. He is God himself. He thinks, he feels, he makes decisions, he acts. But this language of wind and breath, I think, is helpful for helping us to understand how the spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, operates in the world. You see, wind and breath are both invisible, except that actually it's so cold right now, you may even be able to see my breath. It is cold in my house right now. But generally, wind and breath are invisible. We can't see them, but we can see and we can feel and we can experience their effects. You only need to look out a window when it is windy and you can see the effect that wind has. I can't see my breath most of the time, but without it, my body would be nothing because wind is an energizing force which propels things forward. Breath is an energizing force that gives life to my body. And both of these are pictures for how the Ruach Elohim, the spirit, wind, breath of God operates in the world. He is the invisible presence of God, the life-giving presence. And the first thing we learn about him in scripture is this. The spirit brings order from chaos. Here he is just hovering over the waters of the deep. And what follows in Genesis chapter one is this account of how the spirit of God brings about order and life into the world, how he creates over everything over this period of seven days or seven phases. It's this poetic depiction of God creating and ordering everything in the world. And what you notice when you read it through is just how meticulous and structured it is. God doesn't just make things in whatever random order they occur to him. Rather, he makes them in a very particular way. We don't have time to get into it in too much depth, but essentially God creates these spaces and then he fills them. He makes these habitats in days one to three and then days four to six. He makes the inhabitants for the habitats. So he begins with this space that is tohu wabohu, is formless and empty. And then days one to three, he tohus, that is he forms, he creates habitats. And days four to six, he bohus, he fills the space with inhabitants. 
Let's just show it like this. Day one, he creates day and night. Day two, he creates skies and seas. Day three, dry land and vegetation. Then days four to six, he fills those spaces. So day four, he creates the sun and moon to rule the day and night. Day five, he fills the sky and sea with birds and fish. Day six, he creates land animals and humans to tend the earth and bring forth vegetation. This structure is really meticulous. And the point that the author of Genesis is wanting to make is this, that the spirit breaks into the chaos and the disorder and he works to bring forth order and life. The spirit brings order into chaos. And each of the days of creation end with God looking at this, this thing that he has created and he declares it is good. Until that is the sixth day where everything is in place and humanity is there to care for all God has made. And then God says this is very good. The first thing we learn about the spirit is that he hovers over the water in order to bring order from chaos, to create a world that God can look at and say, this is good. But actually, the story doesn't stop there, because Genesis 1 gives us this, this sort of wide angle lens on God creating everything. But then Genesis 2, it's like it zooms in to one tiny aspect of God's creation. It looks at a little patch, a garden called Eden. And it tells us that God filled this garden with trees and with plants, with abundant life. And then he created humanity, male and female, called Adam and Eve, whose names mean humanity and life. And he puts them in the garden in order to care for all that he has made. And what does he do in Genesis chapter 2? God breathes into them to bring them to life. He fills them with his breath, with his spirit, and he empowers them to do the second thing that we see today. He empowers them to continue the work of bringing order out of chaos. From Genesis chapter 2, we learn that God's purpose for humanity is that we would be his representatives, filled with his very own life, his breath, his spirit, so that we can continue the work of bringing order and life to the world around us. This is why you are here. This is why I am here. This is why we as humanity and, and as a church are here. We are here to be filled with the spirit of God so that we continue his work of bringing order and life to the world around us. My question to you is, is that how you think of yourself? Is that how you think of your purpose, the reason for your life? I don't know what the first thought is that comes to mind for you in the morning. But what if before your feet hit the ground and you got out of bed every morning, what if you were to start your day by praying, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Just as my first breath of the day has come into my lungs, would you fill me now so that like those first humans, I can continue your work of bringing order and life wherever I go today. Wherever God has placed you, he has put you there as one filled with his spirit, with his breath, with his power, so that you can continue the work of bringing life and order. Wherever you find yourself this week, whether it's in your workplace, whether literally in a workplace or at home, connecting with people digitally, whether it's in your place of study, in your neighbourhood, caring for people around you, looking after children, or perhaps if you have children doing all those things at once, the reason you are there is that you are God's representative, filled with his breath 
and his power so that you can continue his work of bringing order and life in the realm in which he has placed you. God wants to empower each and every one of us to continue his work of bringing life so that by living spirit-filled lives, our character, our integrity, the way we speak, the way we act, the decisions we make, the way we love and serve people will bring more goodness and life and order into realms that otherwise could be chaotic. We are taking the Spirit of God with us so that we can leave the places that we go more peaceful, more healthy, more ordered than if we had not been there. We often talk at Christchurch about our mission as being to work for the cultural, social and spiritual renewal of this city. Another way of putting that would simply be to work for the ordering and life and flourishing of this city so that we can bring order to the chaos to create a city that God would look at and say, this is good. The first thing we see is that the spirit brings order to the chaos. The second thing is that he empowers us to continue his work. But there's a third aspect we need to look at, because I think it's clear that if you look around us, this world is filled with chaos. It feels, feels like bringing order and life is actually an uphill battle. There is so much around us that is, is, is broken, that is disordered. There is so much pain. There is so much suffering and need. This world is not as God intended it to be. And part of the reason I think for that is that humanity largely has rejected its calling to live a spirit-filled life, to be agents of order, agents of life. In many ways, we actually have become complicit in spreading chaos rather than order through the ways we treat one another, the decisions we make, the people we neglect, the things we say or do that stand in opposition to how God wants us to live. I think it's a sad fact that left to our own devices, humans tend to have a tendency to spread more chaos than they do life and order. We see this not only in our own experience, but in the Bible. You know, the very next thing that happens after these two creation accounts is Genesis chapter 3. The first thing Adam and Eve, humanity and life, do is they defy their creator. They ignore his instructions. They do what seems good to them rather than what he has told them is good. It's what the Bible calls sin. And consequently, they unleash chaos into the world. And one way of reading the Bible from that point on is essentially to say that this is the story of God wanting to rescue his people from chaos so that he can again fill them with his spirit and recommission them with the task of working for the order and life of the world. And actually, many of the great rescue stories in scripture contain water as a picture of chaos. Think Noah and the flood. Think of God rescuing Moses and the people through the waters, taking them towards the promised land. The third thing I want to say is this. It seems that if we are going to continue this work of the Holy Spirit, of bringing order from chaos, then we ourselves need to be rescued from the chaos. That's the story of scripture. And it culminates in one great act of the Spirit, which is this. The Spirit empowered Jesus to rescue us. Right at the start of the New Testament, there's this scene where Jesus begins his ministry by being baptised. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, it puts it like this. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Do you see what's happening here? 
There's water. There's a wilderness, a desert. Jesus goes into the water. As he emerges, the spirit of God descends and hovers over the water. And the voice of God says, this is good. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. I think the gospel writers want us to see this like a reenactment of Genesis 1. This is like a moment of new creation where the gospel writers are trying to make it obvious to us something new is happening. Project humanity is getting back on track through this particular human being filled with the spirit of God. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is playing the role that we as humanity were meant to play. He is the the spirit filled one who is working to bring life and order to the world around him. And as you read on from Matthew 3, right through the Gospels, you find that everywhere Jesus goes, he comes to bring life to the full. He brings order and life in abundance. He calls it the kingdom of God, the perfect rule and reign of God. What does a spirit-filled life look like? It looks like Jesus. Jesus went around doing good everywhere. Filled with the Spirit, he lived a life of integrity with impeccable character. He cared for people that the the rest of the world largely rejected. He looked after those in need. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He set people free from things that bound them. He confronted injustice and he restored people into relationship with their creator. That's a spirit-filled life. And the culmination of Jesus' life, the decisive moment of rescue came at the cross, where Jesus experienced the full force of chaos and, and sin in its harshest uh, form. Jesus experienced death on the cross. It's like in that moment he was overwhelmed by the waters of chaos. But three days later, he rose again from the dead, showing that chaos does not ultimately have the victory. Sin, evil, suffering, even death do not ultimately have the victory. God has the victory. God has intervened to rescue us from the chaos. And the story of the Bible continues right through to the very final book, the book of Revelation, where it depicts Jesus coming back to finish that work of new creation, creating a world in which there is only order and life and no more chaos. There is no more sickness, sin, suffering, pain or death. It even says that there is no sea in this new creation, not because God doesn't want there to be a sea, but rather it's a picture of the fact that everything that stood in the way of the life of God has been removed. This is where things are heading. And Jesus invites us to join him in that new creation. If you do not know God, can I encourage you to consider the claims about Jesus, the claims he made about himself. Consider the evidence for his death and his resurrection and consider whether they might have something to offer you today. You see, Jesus' offer is that he wants to rescue us from everything in this world and everything in ourselves that stops us living the life we were created to. He wants to rid us of the power of sin and chaos in our lives so that we can be restored into relationship with God, so that we can know his peace which passes understanding. It doesn't mean that we are suddenly immune to the chaos of the world. We still suffer. We still feel pain. But we can know his presence with us in those moments of chaos and pain. We can know a hope that goes beyond this grave, the promise of eternal life with God in the new creation. And then we can receive his spirit and we can live lives of purpose, bringing life and order into the chaos of the world around us. 
If you do not know Jesus, can I invite you to consider this year the claims about his life, his death and his resurrection? We've heard today already about the Alpha Course. It will be a brilliant place to explore some of those questions. We would love to have you there. Jesus has come into this world to get the project of humanity back on track. And the Gospels begin with this reenactment of Genesis 1, actually they end, I think, with a reenactment of Genesis 2. Because the Gospels end and the book of Acts begin with Jesus breathing upon his disciples. Why? As a symbol of the fact that he is giving them the Holy Spirit and recommissioning them to go out, bringing life and order to the world around them. Friends, this is our mission. This is the reason we are here. This is what it means to live a spirit-filled life. God has rescued us from the chaos so that he can fill us with his Holy Spirit and commission us to bring order and life to the chaos around us. Let me try and illustrate this with a story. You may have seen this just before Christmas. Uh, the BBC ran a piece about a pastor in Burnley called Pastor Mick. It's worth reading the whole story of his life. I don't have time now, but here's just a brief summary. Mick Fleming had an awful upbringing. It was filled with abuse and tragedy. By the age of 14, he was using and dealing drugs, which continued for the next 30 years. He was arrested for murder twice, for armed robbery three times and countless firearms offences. Then in 2009, something happened which changed his life. He was sitting in a car outside a gym. He was waiting for a man to emerge and he was there to kill him. He had a gun on the seat next to him in the car and he was waiting and watching. And when the door of the gym opened and this guy came forward, he got out of the car ready to go and approach him. Then he noticed that this guy actually unexpectedly had two small children with him, two girls around five years old. And as he was approaching him, gun in hand, Mick said that he had this experience which he can barely even describe or explain to this day. As he looked at the girls, it was like this radiant light just shone off this innocent children and completely dazzled him. He describes it like this. It was white, brilliant white. For 15 seconds, I couldn't see. It was like looking into the sun and I was paralysed by it. He collapsed, he struggled back to his car, feeling sick and confused. He said he felt like that light had revealed something of his true nature, so he saw himself as he truly was. All the chaos, all the mess, all the sin, all the violence, and he hated what he saw. He cried out to God, he put the gun to his chin, he pulled the trigger, and nothing happened. He says the gun just seized up, he couldn't understand it but he burst into tears and he sobbed and he sobbed like he hadn't done for 30 years. And that moment, that strange moment sitting there in that car began a journey of transformation for him, a journey that was hard and long and painful, but it led to him getting free from drugs, free from alcohol and giving his life to Jesus Christ. Fast forward 11 years and now Mick Fleming is known as Pastor Mick. And he is a pastor in Burnley, which is one of the areas hardest hit by COVID-19. And he gives his life to serving those in greatest need. And the reason the BBC originally profiled him was not actually about his, his past story, but because of the incredible work he is doing now, bringing life and order to that place that is in deep need. He is working with the homeless, with the hungry, with drug users. He is providing food. He's mobilizing many people to bring support and he is helping people to get clean and sober. His story is incredible. It's a story of God reaching in and rescuing him from the chaos so that he can now be filled with the spirit 
so that he can rescue others from the chaos around them. And I believe that God looks at him as he did the days of creation and he says, this is good. Pastor Mick's story is dramatic, far more dramatic than my own story and yours too, I suspect. But actually the essence of it is the same. The Spirit of God is doing the same work today in all of us that he always has. The Spirit is about rescuing people from the chaos so that he can fill us and send us back out into the chaos to bring order and life. This is our mission. We are rescued by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit to continue the work of the Spirit. Who knows what incredible things God could do through us as individuals and as a community if we approach this year with that mindset. Now, if you are part of a connect group, one of our midweek groups, then this week we have created a practice that will help you to think about that idea and apply it in your own life. Uh, I hope you'll find it helpful. It will give you ways of just identifying the areas where God wants to use you and give you strategies and wisdom to be, be an agent of life and order in the world around you. You can find that resource on the website in the resources section there. And if you're not yet part of a connect group, can I really encourage you to become part of one of these communities? It's a brilliant way to find community, to share life with others and to reflect on these things together. But right now, I just want to pray for us, each of us in our different circumstances and ask that the Spirit of God would fill us. So I wonder if you would just take a moment to close your eyes. You may want to hold out your hands and invite the Spirit of God to come and fill you today. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray for everyone watching this right now that they would experience your presence with them. This week, would you give us peace in the midst of the chaos around us? Whatever our circumstances look like, would we know your strength and your empowering presence? Would you give us eyes to identify the pain and brokenness around us? And would you give us wisdom and power to live lives that continue your work of bringing order and life? In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.